Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. I am now recording Super Pulp Science. We can start whenever you Gregory actually would like to begin. Already. Yeah, I hit the recording button. Are we really recording? I don't know if I need this. I don't need these headphones. I, you should keep them because you want to know that we're all talking properly into the microphone. Can I hear you, Jonathan? Can you hear me, Gregory? Yeah, I, I don't know. You tell me. It feels loud to me, but I don't know. How That's this okay. Works. He can it always be loud. It could be. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how a genre gets made. I am GMB Kamichuk, uh, a writer, an illustrator, a creative, and a person who is constantly a bad influence on you, the dear listener, telling you that you should join the fight and make comics. Well, it's nice to know that every now and then, somebody listens. I have on the show today, Lyndon Rochenka, fresh like a conquering hero from the New York Comic Con to tell us a tale of how he went from, well, here to there. But also on the show is Jonathan Ball, who is a co-collaborator with me on our book out from Heavy Metal called The Eye Collector, as well as our new Shared World Anthology, a sword and sorcery uh, project that we have out. And we're going to hold Lyndon accountable for a number of things today. Lyndon has raised his eyebrows. He is looking concerned. I hate accountability. Perfect. Um, This is the moment for accountability. Oh, no. Tell us first, Lyndon, and tell the dear listener, what roles you usually play in the creation of your comics projects. Let's imagine that no one has heard you on the podcast before. Every episode is somebody's new episode, and let's just uh, assume nothing and let's give them a little background. I am a comics writer and letterer, so I have a number of projects published and self-published. Throughout the process, I write the books, I um, collaborate with an artist on them, I letter those books when the art is finished, I prep those files for print, I liaison between publishers, I reach out to editors and sort of do the general networking footwork so that the artists that I work with can focus exclusively on the art uh, if they so choose. And you're occasionally chief bottle washer and money finder on this project also. On occasion, yes, I do those things. Yes. Uh, And then in a secondary capacity, I work together with you and Jonathan and Justin Curry of Chasing Artwork fame uh, and help keep attempt to help keep your projects on the rails that's right on the rails they clatter right but they stay on the rails um force is mass times acceleration and so uh we provide the mass often and you provide the acceleration and uh sometimes they get to their intended destination their finished in, spot, yeah. in fact today we just unpacked a box full of shared world books fresh from the printer but it's not about us today it's about you spotlight spotlight on linden oh and uh uh if you hear dear listener some creaking in the recording right now that's because we're recording on a ship crossing the ocean actually an old table that is in the studio uh that i'm leading on and jonathan is very upset at me every time he hears me do it that and touching and hitting the table what are you talking about no, yeah, that's, kill you for that. that's just the heartbeat of the vampire below decks. Lyndon, you write comics, you make comics, but 
you also do something that I think is important in any field, whether you're an engineer, a doctor, a aircraft mechanic, or a comic book maker, or a teacher, you should find mentors. Mm, I do do that. I do do those things. Yes. So why don't you talk a little bit about that process? Because it will lead us from here to Tom Hardy, which I think is a kind of a nice uh, trajectory, a nice arc. Sure. So one of the fundamental uh, pieces of self-advice that I give to myself and I try to give to other people is if there is something that you want to do or something that you want in life, you should find someone who's already done it and then do whatever they did. That is the most direct path to uh, your goal, in my experience. And that started um, roughly 10 years ago now, actually. I was talking to Justin Curry this weekend about that uh, at a convention, at a Winnipeg Comic-Con convention in 2013, where I met uh, a, a local star comics maker named GMB Kamichuk, and I said... How can I make comics? <laughs> More of a fizzling, a fizzling strain. It's like if uh, if a Elka Seltzer drops into water and it fizzles a little. That's how I describe my career. Like you can tell something's happening, but when you taste it, you're not quite sure if you like it, right? Um, so yeah, you asked how you can make you comics, and I told you, yeah, you're an artist. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and I told you that it's very simple to make comics. You just have to uh, have an idea, write it down make a script and give it to somebody to give you some feedback and then find an artist. And that usually makes everyone go away and I never have to talk to them again about how to make things. Uh, not that I don't want to talk to them again, but that's usually the step in which I never hear from those people again. You should be so lucky that that, that happens, <laughs> Yeah. except with me. Except with you. Instead, what Lyndon did was say, oh, okay, here's a script of a thing I wrote. Oh, here's another thing I did later. Oh, and here's another thing and another thing and another thing. And one thing as anyone uh, who is familiar with me shouting from my creaky soapbox. Just creak the table a little bit here. Perfect. My creaky soapbox. Uh, movement gives shape to form, right? You have to do the thing you want to be doing, and then maybe it will take the shape you want it to eventually. Now, as a sidebar here, and just before we totally move away from the 2013 Winnipeg Comic Convention, uh, I have a very vivid memory of you telling me to read a couple of books and I believe they were Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud and Frame by Frame by... Oh. It's funny because it's 100% in my arsenal. I tell everyone that that's the one they should read. Well, anyway. If they're really serious. I'm looking it yeah, up. You told me to read those two books and to come up with a comic script and you'd be happy to look at that comic script when it was finished. So I went away and I think I worked on that over the weekend and at the end of the show... I brought it back to you and you said, oh, great. Yeah, I'll look at it. You should come and meet me at the Cornerstone, Corner yeah, Slab, right. Cornerstone yeah, Restaurant. Yeah. Um, oh, here, I didn't realize at Winnipeg. the time what a flex that would seem like. Um, and I went and met you at the Cornerstone post-show on the Sunday. And um, I sat down and you were looking through it. And lo and behold, someone else should join us. And it was a younger guy. He worked for a video game company at the time, and he really wanted to talk to Gregory about a potential book project that they may be able to work on together in the future. And uh, I talked about his time working at Complex Games. Complex Games. And That's a young, fresh-faced Justin Curry. Yeah. And they were discussing this story concept of a young girl and a robot 
that they may want to work on a book together. And what was that? Oh my book? God, Cassian Tonk. Yeah, they did. I almost sold out Cassian Tonk. That's uh, wild, actually. I didn't realize that those two threads crossed. Justin always makes fun of me for inviting people to come to the Cornerstone at that time because um, my wife knew the owner of the Cornerstone uh, pretty well, and they asked me to decorate it with all of my art on canvases and so when i would have meetings there and people would comment on the art i didn't realize like what a kind of douche move that was Be like, oh yeah that's all my work uh but that's, that's it had really good poutine great. that's the way to do it yeah and so that was the first time i met justin curry um as time would roll on i think i fell away from making comics for a little while uh steven and i traveled to the san diego comic-con in 2015 decided we wanted to give making comics a shot and we came back and we started on our journey to infinite universe which um has been talked ad nauseum on this podcast and you can look up those episodes i think it starts at episode 15 for the dear listener um we should totally finished comics project that they printed as a trade paperback we should totally make a comic and if i may digress for a moment one of the habits that go along with finding mentors um, was that I shame, shamelessly ask for things mm. when I want them. Yeah. And he does. Through <laughs> this journey in these early days, um, in the process of making Infinite Universe, I learned how to letter comic books. And at that time, I was about halfway through lettering that comic book. And I said, Gregory, let me know if you ever need a comics letterer. And God, did I ever. I was roped in on a short comics project that Gregory was doing at the time called Midnight Man. Oh, yeah. Written by Chadwick Chadwick Ginther. Chadwick Ginther, who we now uh, have. Share a book with as of this morning. Who are you? It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is our plan. An important thing about this, though, it seems like all of us just work together and that's how we get stuff done. Yes, find a crew of people who are getting stuff done and work with them and stand by them and be honest with them and be uh, a good collaborator with them and stuff will happen. Uh, What's interesting about all of these projects is the number of years between the idea, the ideation of it and the actual completion of it. In some cases, it's a decade. In some cases, it's only a few years. Um, But making it about you again, uh, when you were lettering, you also sought out one of the better, if not one of the best, uh, Canadian comic book letters, uh, Ed Bryson, and asked him for advice. Yes, I was connected to him at the 2019 convention, uh, Calgary Expo. Um, I was tabling there and he was a guest. And so I was introduced to him um, and asked for feedback on my lettering. And he gave it to me at the time and, you know, a couple minor things, but... He told me that I was on the road or the path to professional work. Um, the, as I don't know how the dear listener would, would consider this. Um, some people like to take, do their creative uh, tasks as a hobby. Uh, I aspire to have them reach a professional level and to sort of see how far I can push them. So I've always aspired to, you know, big titles, big books, Um, being as involved in the industry as I can. So it was nice to hear from Ed Bryson, who at the time specifically said, I said, Ed, how can I make 
more of a, not a living, but how can I make more of a run with lettering? And he said, if you can find and get on your first image title, that is the first step to making a, a living being a professional letterer of comic books was to find your first, tr- try and get on however you can your first book with image comics. Funny he should say that. Funny he should say that. Um, and so with that, I pestered Gregory for years until he finally accepted me into his creative circle uh, and continued to mentor me in the making of comic books. Um, Fast forward to 2020. Is, is there anything between tw- then and 2020 I mean, that you like? I mean, a bunch of twists and turns along there, um, you know. Um, but I think that more or less sums it up. If we're talking Keeping it about you. the journey of comics lettering in 2020. But hold on, wait. No, yeah. I do want to mention something. Yeah. You, and I think this is probably what Jonathan's going to say, writing, you wrote a novel in that time. You were writing short stories. You were working on your craft at... I continued to make comics. Yeah. Scope. When did we sure. do heavy metal? When did we pick that up? Because that'd be that was right around that time, also in so twenty twenty. That's not image, but that's a major credit for you. Correct. Yeah. And what? So so then, Jonathan, we met in twenty January of twenty nineteen at a comics workshop being hosted by Gregory, uh, Justin, and Sambico. And what can you recall about you know our earliest interactions, and then your how I Collector came together and how I ended up working on that project. So the real short story about how that project came together and how you got into it is, you know, I'd been, you know, had a career as a writer for a while, but uh, I had always kind of wanted to get into comics. Um, I had started kind of hanging out here in the studio a little bit, just working every now and again um, here because, you know, I knew Gregory. I kind of got to know Justin through him and through coming here. Um, and when so you your evil plan to get your yeah, and I was like, I was, I was just liking being here um, for a variety of reasons. But I had sort of the yeah, the evil plan in my head is like, I need to have a desk over there in the corner, which I do now. <laughs> I need to have my name on the door and all this stuff. And one of the things that was kind of the mix of like what I wanted to do and where I thought it was helpful. Uh, to come here was I wanted to get more into the comics industry and kind of transition myself to the comics world as a writer a little bit. This would be a good point for me to point uh, fingers at the notion of like how we all know each other. And then so I met Jonathan Ball, gosh, 20 years ago? Yeah, uh, something like that. Uh, in Dennis Cooley's advanced creative writing class, which uh, Jonathan had submitted work to and joined legitimately, and I showed up one day thinking that I wanted to be part of it. Um, that's a story for another day, but the uh, facts of... You the, horned yourself in there. Yeah, the facts <laughs> of the case are that yeah. uh, that group, when we stopped meeting for class, I invited, I just said, I found it so instructive to have so many different people talking about mentors too so many different people at different levels in their writing journey in different places in their writing journey writing specifically very different genres from screenplays to poetry to candlelit to science fiction to horror i just said i don't want to give this up so how about when class is done we just keep meeting at class time but we'll do it at my house and the only thing we'll be missing is the professor professor but we'll just keep workshopping stuff well, and kind of on this topic of mentors, like one of the reasons I wanted to get kind of horn my way into the studio here is I just was looking at what you and Justin were doing. 
and I was looking at how you were working in comics, uh, but also how you and Justin were, you know, just um, making a career. And you had more of kind of a business uh, than I did at the time, for sure. And I was, I just sort of had the idea, like similar to Lynn, and like, well, I kind of want to do something, not exactly what those guys are doing, but kind of in that wheelhouse. So if I just like sit in this table in this room, I'll just, you know, figure it out faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for comic stuff, my, you were the, like the one guy I personally knew who was doing comics in a real capacity. And so again, I was just sort of like, I'll just ask Gregory questions. So I was literally like, I got the idea, I'm going to write a comic. So I would ask Gregory like random questions like, hey, how long is a comic? <laughs> how many words like, fit in a He's like, I don't know. He how goes, many panels should I describe? He's how like, do I organize it? How yeah. do I format it? What do I... So I just asked him like technical questions really uh, in a lot of ways. And um, I would just, you know, implement that stuff. So I think like part of the mentorship, the, the thing that people really forget about mentors, I find, is they, they have the idea that they need to like network to connect with a mentor and that's going to help them. But what, it doesn't, necessarily help them <laughs> what helps them is if they listen and implement the things the person says like is that all important step if you actually do it or if they disagree or if you disagree should result in a different action well, not just a contrary opinion but oh i don't think that's the best way to market my book this is the way i think i should mark my book and then they try to market their book that way those i yeah. don't i love disagreements in this room and you know we get kind of hot under the collar here when we're talking about how the best way to get things done are but it's because uh what we have in common is that we give it a good old college try as they used to say so then i took this workshop that you and justin and sam Biko were putting together uh was was at the studio here and as i say this is where i met lyndon and lyndon passed my first test of a comics creator or any artist writer which is he's like mentioned he had this book out that he had done, which was Infinite Universe. And I said, well, can you sell me a copy right now? And he was able to, he had the infrastructure to do so. He could take, uh, he had like a way to be- take my money. He had a book to hand to me. You'd be surprised how few people have the infrastructure to sell you their book. Yeah. Or they go like, oh, I don't know, maybe uh, I've you seen can get you one do somewhere. i test to a lot of people. It's actually- My rule is I will buy your book if you can sell it to me. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, dear um, listener, make sure you show up at the comic but, show. But part of the week. thing too was just you know he mentioned he was a letterer as well as a writer, and so I was like, well, let's just see how what his lettering looks like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, so I liked it, and I liked Lyndon, and so I just decided to hire him as a letterer at that point. Basically, like when it got to the point where um, we were going to actually have this book done. We lost him. How could you lose him? He's got a lot of firepower. What? And you don't. Okay, so let's put the spotlight back firmly on Lyndon. Mm. Now you've got some credits. Now you've got some stuff. Now you're working in a studio. I've made some books. You've made some books. And you're not yet where you want to be. So you decide more mentors. Yeah, so, uh, and I've told this story on the podcast before, so I'm not going to get into it too deep. I'm a big fan of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman run. It's what got me back into reading comics when I was younger. Uh, So I followed... Scott's career fairly closely ever since and read whatever he's been putting out um, and I and in the midst of the event there's uh, something some uh, phenomena occurred in the online space uh, that we'll call the Substack wave and it's mm. where um, essentially the 
newsletter platform Substack paid writers uh, an undisclosed amount of money to make Substack their primary platform. They called it the Substack grant. And that essentially, the way that that worked from the way that I understand it is the they paid those writers X amount of money. The writers started their Substack newsletters on that platform. Um, Substack took any money that those creators made for one year and then beginning in the second year those cre the, that agreement sort of concluded and the agreement and the creators were then able to take all the proceeds that they had made going forward on that platform and so many of the big names in the comics industry did this this all in the midst of the inevitable decline of social media twitter instagram etc that we face today substack was the next great experiment and one of the creatives that undertook this task was Scott Snyder. He introduced what he was going to call his Comics Writing 101 workshop, which was uh, at the time conceptually a month-by-month -month online webinar series that you could subscribe to at the low cost of $7 a month for the average subscriber, uh, $75 a year uh, U.S., um, which I highly recommend. All of those classes happened, continue to happen, are archived in the Substack. I plug Scott Substack. You should subscribe to it. Uh, but what also was offered was a, um, a founder's tier, which was a higher, it cost more per year significantly, um, but they hinted at some sort of undisclosed at the time benefits, perhaps some... Um, more time with the ability to talk to Scott. I don't exactly remember what was listed at the time, but I was a big fan of Scott. I wanted to take part in the class. I wanted whatever the highest rewards were, whether at the time it was signed comic books, etc. And so I signed up. But, but also a precursor to this was uh, another thing that was happening in a pandemic at the time was a lot of people were donating their time to do like Q&A workshop things mm -hmm. through um, charity programs. Uh, I know... Scott Snyder is one of them because you and I both entered this class that he had done basically. It was like a one, I forget what it was in detail. It was like a one hour workshop or something. It's a one hour workshop was, on um, first issues. Yeah, right? and it was a precursor basically to the kind of thing he started doing later in the with the Substack. Uh, and so we had both kind of gotten that exposure to him and just, you know, we're impressed with him generally as like a dude. Um, and then this thing comes up and this founder tier opportunity comes up and they had limited it. And I remember at the time, like, uh, you had told me about it. And so you and I both ended up signing up at this like higher tier, yeah. uh, which as you say, transitioned later into more of a kind of one-on-one -on -one sort of consultation that you could uh, have with Scott, which I found, you know, I would get like, yeah, I would highly recommend people sign up for that. If, uh, if they can, I mean, you can, you can't, you can always sign up for the Substack, but then from time to time, it's possible to join the other thing. An important point to make here is that no matter where you think you are in your career, anyone can probably give you some good advice. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And your so, peers, especially like you were saying yeah. in the, a lot of people discount their peers and like what their peers can do for them. They think they need someone like Scott Snyder to help them. But of course it also helps to have a more established figure kind of tell you what maybe you're not thinking of. Like I know the last time I talked to him without getting into the weeds of it, like it was one of those conversations where it's like, oh geez, I should have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, no. So we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, we signed up for this class and for the first 
year of it, actually, those meetings didn't happen. That wasn't something that was part of that package. Yeah, oh, it was never something it they was said would happen. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It wasn't yeah. something. And then um, about a year ago, actually, almost exactly a year ago, Jonathan and I received an email that said, those people who are in the founders tier, Scott is going to start something uh, weekly called uh, office hours, which are essentially five-minute one-on-one conversations where Scott will take five minutes, talk to uh, whoever uh, is subscribed, about essentially whatever you want to talk to him about. Um, at this, at that point, it was simply a one-off thing. It wasn't yet scheduled to become a regular occurrence, but it would become a regular occurrence after that first instance because Scott enjoyed it so much, and I assume that students got a lot out of it. Um, so I can recall getting that email and signing up and Jonathan and I talking about if we have five minutes with Scott Snyder, what do you talk about? Gregory, what would you, what would you talk about? Like if I had five minutes now, I'd probably just say thanks for being a decent bloke to two decent blokes I know. Um, you know, I would have a different take on it. Like me right now, if you're asking me legitimately, the question I would ask is, um, what am I not thinking about in my contract as a new producer of a horror film uh, as the creative side, as the writer side, what's the gap that I'm not including in my contract that you wish you had included early on? Because he's been in that. Of course. I would only ask him things that I think he's done that I need. And targeted questions too, right? Like one of the things that's so, uh, when you kind of take a broad workshop or hear someone talk in an interview or something, a lot of the times it's really interesting, useful, but it's not targeted. That's like right. You're talking generally yeah. about things. So it's sometimes, I mean, because I've also been talking regularly with Chris Starros, who runs Top Shelf Books um, and has worked with Alan Moore and Jeff Lemire and so on. Who uh, is available as a consultant. Yeah, I don't right. know if he has any availability at this moment, but generally he's, he started making himself available as a consultant in the pandemic as well. Um, which is again it was a kind of an interesting phenomenon that was uh you know people everyone's uncertain trying to figure out what they should be doing and just you know stuck at home wanting to connect with people right but i found like those sorts of consultations have been really interesting like whoever it's with um even just when i was coming here talking to you like things like hey how long should the comic be yeah. you're like well try to make it 22 pages i'm like great <laughs> so you know like something like that is is so um you know, it, it, you could you could go online and read a hundred different versions of like how long should a comic be, but it doesn't really answer your question of like, well, what would be the best thing for me to do? Well, especially I can just go do specific it. Specific also, if if you're dealing with a person directly, if you have a person who is doing the job that you want to do, uh, let's get really specific here. And you say, I'm trying to write a scene. I have six pages to accomplish it, but I wrote it as eight. What would you cut yeah. that accomplishes the same thing? Like these very specific things are the mm-hmm. kinds of things you go to a mentor. You don't go to a mentor to say, um, why? How do I break into comics? How do I break into comics? That's <laughs> right. not what a mentor is for, yeah. right? Um, and at a certain point, a mentor becomes your peer, and you know that has happened when they start asking you questions about your process because they see strength in, strength in what you're doing. Right, and that is when it's time sometimes to go beyond them as a mentor. Now they are maybe a friend, maybe they're a collaborator, maybe they're a peer, but now you have to look again for people who are more accomplished or more uh, uh, 
you know, maybe brave, crazy, foolhardy, but they're pushing a different boundary. You know, that's what you have to do. So I remember Jonathan asking me what I planned to talk about. Now, dear listener, this does end with Tom Hardy, I promise. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, Jonathan asked me what I planned to talk with Scott about in my five minutes. And I think all I said back was, I'm going to send him the link to my portfolio. And I'm going to ask him what he thinks I should do next. Um, and I did that. And, you know, uh, he gave me a lot of praise on sort of the, the breadth of work that I was coming with. Um, I had finished things already and he was happy to put me in touch with other uh, professionals um, if that's what I wanted. And yeah, I, yeah. Key point, if you're seeking any kind of mentorship or um, creative oversight, come with good finished work. Don't come with ideas. Come with good finished work. And that's what you were showing. And, you know, and I, I think at the time I said, if you ever need a letterer for any projects, let me know. And we left it at that. That was our, our five minutes were up and we were off. Um, and then the year progressed. Scott decided that he was going to continue having these meetings semi-regularly. Both Jonathan and I signed up for them semi-regularly. Uh, he also decided that he was going to start accepting student work to review um, and talk about in his writing comics class. He was going to use it as, as constructive feedback. And through the midst of this, Stephen and I were finishing our book, The Laundryman, and I was showing it to him and asking for feedback while also submitting it to his class. And he read it, and he gave me some direct feedback on things that he thought would improve the book, which were... Um, well, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Because we keep saying like, oh, you just submitted it or whatever. Let's just acknowledge that even though we're saying it like it's normal, dear listener, all the fear you have about that, all the second guessing, all the wonder if it's going to be any good, all the trepidation you have about what kind of fear. We heard about all this in the studio too, right? Yeah. And we, we have these thoughts ourselves. Like who knows if anyone will respond to it the way we intend it to be consumed but you have to no, do it but you gotta like do it this, anyway yeah. there's no you and jonathan and i talk about this quite regularly you're going to get rejected get over it probably just um, yeah. um it's going to happen yeah. a lot and that sh that can't be what stops you from putting in the work if you want to do that work that's just part of the job they expect one of us in the wreckage brother have we started the fire yes the fire rises one of Snyder's uh, own mentors was Stephen King. He's the kind of guy who plucked him from the, uh, who discovered him in a certain sense, not entirely, but yeah. a little bit. And then he ended up being a co-creator of the American Vampire series, uh, you know, picking Scott, basically picking Scott to do that is my understanding. But uh, Stephen King, I remember one of my formative kind of moments in my life was reading a book of short stories that Stephen King had done. And in the back, he has little notes on each story. And he said in one of them, this story was rejected, you know, by the New Yorker, and then I sent it somewhere else. And I remember thinking, Stephen King's still getting rejected. Yeah. yeah. Because not every market and not every publisher wants well, every person. Your name is not enough. The work has to And in, to be fair to the New Yorker, in this case, Stephen King had sent that story about the guy gets trapped in the... Yeah, outhouse oh. <laughs> to the New Yorker. Okay, yeah, right. fair enough. <laughs> He's like crawling through yeah. shit. Whoever is in charge of that like uh, submissions board, you know, they were right. Yeah, yeah. but anyways, um, 
I just, but, but I remember thinking like, oh, it doesn't really ever end. Like one of the things the students ask me a lot is like, when do you know, do you get to take it easy as a writer and people just, you know, you don't, don't reject you anymore or whatever. Huh. And I always tell them like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, yeah. you know, it just, it just doesn't. What, what happens is you get nicer rejections from your friends. Yeah. Some friends and peers, some people that were mentors started as mentors to me and are now friends and peers, you know, they, uh, and because they're currently into some submission processes, I will leave their names out of it. But let's just say these are names that you probably have heard of and with good reason because they're excellent. Um, getting soundly rejected, um, not because the work is no good, but simply because it does not fit the goals of the publishers currently. You know, or for a hundred reasons. So yeah. Scott gave me feedback on how I could improve some aspects of the laundryman and sent me on my way and I took his feedback and did what he told me to do and and then showed him and showed it to him and he seemed pleasantly surprised how well I had followed those that feedback but do you know why he was so pleasantly surprised people often miss this because people don't do it because people don't do it decades in classrooms right so yes people don't follow you tell them exactly what they need to do to do exactly what they want to do and they don't do it. Dear listener, if you want to do something and you ask for advice from someone who's done it and they tell you how to do it and you don't do the thing that they tell you to do, why did you ask them what for their advice? And why not even just go back to them then and say, hey, I did what you want, you told me to do. Thanks. Uh, what do you think I should do next? So like, here's a, It sounds so simple, but people don't do it. Here's a direct example of that. Um, when I get substantive edits, so I used to have this uh, horrible fear that I was going to accept all the changes, that I would go through it, and then I'd lose my own voice, and I'd lose the draft because you're updating along. So I'd make copies. You know, I'd make a copy of this one. So it is as I wrote it, and then I'd go through with the substantive edits, and I would go through what the editor suggested and accept those changes. And then I would go away for a little while and then try to read both as objectively as possible and see, like, do I really agree with these really you know, these changes. Um, the truth is, why did I ask them for their advice if I wasn't ready to accept it? And so first I accepted fundamentally that whatever problems they're identifying are present. How they suggest to fix them, that can be fluid and that's great, but just take the advice. Or, or, or at least think, but like, but the most important thing in here from the point of view of mentorship is you have to show them that you're you're serious and you're worth them spending time on. But I find a lot about people in kind of more established positions in whatever industry is they often are very uh, happy to help, but not people who like waste their time. Like I once had a student come to me at the university and it's like, you know, asked me a bunch of questions and they apologized at the end for taking so much of my time. And I said, you know, I go, and I said to them like, no, this is great. I go, you can come take all the time you want. I go, what bothers me is when people come here and they're taking my time, they don't deserve my time. <laughs> I may be a little more magnanimous about it. When I did, uh, when I did um, the writer in residency at UFW, um, what I would do is I would, I would give feedback on work and I would maybe, let's say there was 10 notes. I would say, pick the three you most agree with and make those changes and pick the three you least agree with and come back to me with why you didn't change it. 
right? Have a yeah. reason. And yeah. then it, within those rationale, that would help create and craft the rationale. And that is my relationship with my substantive editors yeah. now is that, you know, I'm going to take most of your advice and put some things I'm going to, I'm going to die on those hill. I really want that phrasing that way because I find it more poetic and aesthetic. And I, even if it's gramma- grammatically incorrect, I don't care. Yeah. It's one sentence of thousands of sentences in this book and this one is going my way. Damn it. Yeah. yeah but also in that kind of scenario, let's say you get three notes you decide to take two yeah. and you reject one yeah. in that scenario you just go back and like here's the thing i did too yeah you don't talk about how you were wrong about this one no you never yeah. you know what i mean no, but for sure. i tell this story because scott was ple- seemed pleasantly surprised that i took his edits um he talked about how much it improved the work he ended up using that work in the class but i like to think that that conversation or that interaction that back and forth it got me some social credit as we like to say and so the time went on and we had a meeting in the summer I would I'm currently we're currently recording this in October of 2023 I would say this conversation occurred in May of 2023 maybe June but I'm fairly certain it was May and Scott said uh, That's I'm, his law degree talking, his certainty there. I'm going to have some time this summer, a little more time than I expected. How can I help you? What do you need? And among the, my wish list of things that I spoke to him, I said, I again said, if you ever need a letterer on your project, I would be happy to be involved. Now, dear listener, an important piece of lettering here is that you then get to see the writing process of the raw script you get to place those words into context with the art then you get to be part of the revision stage which i think is such a brilliant part of linden's journey as a writer uh is that he's been able to see how all these different weird authors go through the process of what is what do i think is ready for the page deciding no it's not yet ready and then making the change so it best fits the page and when i said scott let me know if you ever need a letter he said oh actually i may have something coming up in the future uh i'll know more uh in a little while probably um a series we can talk about it when i know a little bit more about it um i'll let you know and just for our sake and the reader's sake, uh, there is some information that I'm not sure if it has been announced yet or not. And so I'm going to try and keep, I'm trying to not be the spoiler of that information until it becomes public knowledge. Okay, but, but I think it's time to dive into it. You went correct. to New York Comic Con just recently. Yep. The book was announced. Yeah. The big marquee was up. So the yeah, so, creative team so was there and couple, you were present. A couple weeks after that, um, I followed up with Scott and I said, hey, Scott, uh, is there any more information on that project? Do you still need a letter? And he said, yes, I have a series coming out. I'm co-writing it with Frank Thierry and believe it or not, Tom Hardy. Now, I don't know a whole lot about what that project is going to look like yet, uh, but that if you want the job, it's yours. You can have it. And I said, yes, I want it. <laughs> He said, well, you know, I don't know. Let me know if Gary Oldman's involved. This blocks the remote detonator signal to the bomb. Get it onto it before sunrise. They might hit the button when it starts. 
when what starts war. No, I said, yes, I want that job. Please, please, please give it to me. And he said, okay, great. I'll connect you with the creative team at a later date when it's time to work on the project. And we left that conversation there. Um, cue the middle, the first week of September, uh, I get an email from Scott saying, hey, can you work on this project right now? Um, the, the work is ready to go. We need to get this done by next week. And I said, yes, send me the work. I will get it done. Because when a professional asks you to do something and you see it as a good opportunity, you do the work and you yeah. put in the work. There's a difference between um, your hourly cost or your day rate and the opportunity cost sometimes of not doing the thing. Correct. And so I think it's important for the dear listener uh, to know that when Lennon got this opportunity, all of us at the studio reminded him to remind everyone involved, no matter who they thought they were, that it is a very tight turnaround and that only because he happened to have a window in his schedule that was open was it even possible and that under normal working conditions, this was above and beyond. And dear reader, that window in my schedule was otherwise blocked off for sleep. <laughs> so we made some adjustments and throughout that weekend, the book got done. Um, they decided that they would release the Ash Can, which is a 13-page short comic in this instance, at New York Comic Con. And two weeks later, uh, I was in a meeting with Scott and he asked me if I would be coming to New York Comic Con. Because Tom's coming. You can meet Tom Hardy. He'll be there. And we're, having, we're launching the book. And I said, Scott, four, week, four days before New York Comic Con, I'm getting married. I have no plans to be at New York Comic Con. Um, and he said, okay, that's fine. That's great. And then I went home and I told Gabby, my, wife, my now wife, that... Scott had told me that this book is going to be launching at New York Comic Con and asked if I would be there. And Gabby said, well, we don't have any plans right now for the weekend after or for the week after our wedding. And if you think that this would be a good opportunity, you should go. And so was this the first test of a long marriage? <laughs> and Did he pass or fail? Dear and, listener, you tell me. And so I texted Justin Curry that day while he was at the Ottawa Comic Con and said, hey, sitting beside me, I might add, do you need some help in New York Comic Con with the Chasing Artwork booth? And Justin's response was, aren't you getting married? <laughs> For a second, yeah. Justin, I think, looked over at me and he said, uh-oh, I think the wedding's off. And I was like, what? He's like, no, I don't. maybe not, but he's, I think he's available to come to New York Comic Con. That's and, weird. And so at a later date, Justin Curry will come onto the show and he'll talk about, you know, whether or not it was worth his effort to bring me along to New York. But for me, it was wonderful uh, because Justin said yes. And one day later... He said yes. He said yes. Everyone's saying yes. Ask, reader, when you want something... Ask for what you want. Um, accept the no, also, though. Just to be but also accept the no. You're helping. Yeah. Like you're helping Justin. You're helping Snyder. You're doing things. 
You know, people forget that. They think it's all about networking. They forget that, oh, you have to not be garbage. <laughs> you know? Mike Sanders reminded me recently. Um, he's a filmmaker I've worked with a number of times. I maybe have mentioned him on the show more than once. He's been a guest. He would say, if you're going to be a good collaborator, you must first be a good contributor. So, Lyndon, you have always been a good contributor. Oh, good. From carrying boxes to carrying the weight of the world. Oh, good. Excellent. So, I jetted off to New York. I rapidly, so Justin said yes. One day later, my flight tickets were booked. And I then, um, in a panic, emailed um, Best Jacket, which is Scott's company and his assistant. And I said, I'm now coming to New York Comic Con. Could you please get me in a meeting? with Scott before I come so that I can ask him what I should actually do there because as any professional knows, the New York Comic Con, probably more so even than the San Diego Comic Con, is the mecca for professional comics makers. And specifically publishing. Yes. Right? If you wanted to put a real fine line, uh, San Diego is media rights and media representation, New York publishing, better publishing contacts there. If you were going to slice it fine. So I then uh, contacted Scott about getting into a meeting together. And then I also sent emails to all of the editors at major publishers that I could think of to see if they would be at the Comic-Con. The spoiler here, listener, is some of them were and some of them weren't. Uh, But I got in with Scott and I said, Scott, now I'm coming to New York Comic-Con. I would love to be involved with anything ARC-bound related. And I would love to... You finally named it. Hangout, yeah. The series we learned while I was lettering was called Arcbound. It was announced. It was really cool to watch that announcement and know that we knew here at the studio. We we're like, "Ah, oh, it's happening! Yeah. It's finally happening!" Yeah, I'd love to be involved with anything that's related to this, and you know, would still love to meet Tom. And Scott said, "Oh yeah, no, he should be coming on the Saturday. Um, we'll we'll get you in. You can meet him, and it'll be great." And so I went on. I went and got married, and it was wonderful. And four days later, I got on a plane to New York Comic Con, which was uh, a Wednesday. And I touched down at around 4.30. And at around 5.30 on that Wednesday, a press release went out announcing a new series called Arcbound, written by Scott Snyder, Frank Thierry, and Tom Hardy with art by Ryan Smallman. Um, And we were off to the races. Um, And now we're at New York Comic Con. So, the important part here, dear listener, is not uh, the humble brag of Lyndon getting able to hang out briefly with Tom Hardy and longly (laughs) at length with uh, Scott Snyder and company. The important part here is have good finished work. It's not enough to simply talk about what you want to do. You have to, sometimes at your own expense, sometimes at your own, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Suffering, (laughs) suffrage. You have to create good finished work so that it can be shown to people. Yes, networking is important. And you can get your first job any way you can get it. And that's usually because of someone you know. But you'll get your second job based on your good finished work. Well, and I think the other thing you mentioned being a good contributor uh, is, you know, an important part of networking and collaborating, collaborating. But also, I think a thing that people 
don't get <laughs> in the culture today and that I think is worth talking about a little bit Hot take is incoming. not be a complainer. You know, have your boundaries, you know, say when you're too busy and I'll do it later, but not be a complainer about everything. One of the things that I, one of the reasons I keep working with Lennon, like after I initially started using him as a letterer, is because I will come in and change everything. Like I'll have him letter it, then I'll change it all. I'll grumble a little bit while we're talking and, about. But here's the important thing. But but he what he'll Living he'll do it to your face. Well, he won't complain to me. Oh. He'll just do it. He'll bill me again for it if he needs to, and he'll say if it will take a while. Yeah, you know, I'll grumble a little bit. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you, you want to grumble. Right. Well, you don't if, run if off so, to it's, it's so complaining mu- about how your job That's is. That's right. Yeah, 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 and like all jobs are hard, or right. whatever. Like it's just is. Um, it just is. You know, it doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. It's not helpful. Yeah. Now, if, uh, dear listener, you have uh, workplace health and safety concerns that are not being yeah, addressed. Yeah, this is a different thing. You have some sexual misconduct that the only way uh, to blow the whistle is to blow that whistle loud and clear. Please, do that. please use do that. all yeah. methods at your disposal to make sure that your personal safety is um, upheld. However... Uh, a minor inconvenience. Uh, There's a difference between having the boundary. Rent large online, yeah, is a different kind of boundary. And that uh, creates for you a profile of um, a lack of professional behavior. I am the League of Shadows. I am here to fulfill Raza Ghul's destiny. So I have two anecdotes in my timeline here that I want to mention. At some point in the midst of all of this, I had a conversation with Scott at one of our meetings and I said, Scott, at some point there, it's going to become public knowledge that I am working with you or with some other professional in some other professional capacity. And you know, the story of this is that you really helped me along in this path. You stuck your neck out for me. You connected me with some professionals. Uh, I don't want to put you in a weird position where other people are asking for the same treatment and you have to say no. What would you like me to say publicly? I want the Rachanka ticket. Give and, it to me, Scott. And he said, no, you can tell them. I stand by it. <laughs> well, yeah. that's pretty great. But the other thing too is but he because all those other things are in place. Yeah, right? he has you're, all these gates. You act professionally. Um, you're doing good work. You had done a bunch of stuff before. It's not like he like plucked you and made you a letter. And yeah. I might point out, you have a number of things happening uh, that have nothing to do with him. That's right. And not because of him, but because of you. Well, and, so, and so the other story that I want to mention is at the time that this announcement came out on the Wednesday, um, you know, I have a fairly large social media circle of people that are able to contact me whenever they want to. Um, and we're, you know, I look at them as peers and we're all part of the same writing um, level, whatever, groups online. And a few people that I had interacted in the past reached out and they said, Lyndon, congratulations, so happy for you. If you don't mind me asking, how did you get this opportunity? Now you know. And now I, you have the well, answer. Now you know. The but the, uh, the answer well, that I gave them was, I asked for it. But also, and the timing was right. And notice how long it took. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it took a long time. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of it's sometimes that. It's like, you know, you just keep um, being around uh, and being helpful and doing things, You're doing your own thing, yeah. and not waiting for somebody to, like, hand sh- stuff to you. Yeah. Well, and recently... Um, but they know you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And keeping it about you, but on topic. I recently had a 
a what is ostensibly a rejected film project, a film project that fell apart uh, at one point that went into the folder of maybe one day this will be good for something. And then that day came when someone showed up at the studio asking about something else, got a phone call, and then made a joke about like, oh, well, unless you have something just like this. And I said, well, I do. And because I had it finished, prepared, and ready, it was good work that was finished, even though it had been summarily um, put on hold. What I thought indefinitely, it now has a complete new life. This is a really important point, actually, in terms of that rejection thing, because a lot of the times the way that things work is you'll, let's say you're in the room finally with the producer or the publisher or whoever, and you're like, you've got your thing you want them to take, almost always it will be, well, we don't, no, not that's not for right. us, but what no, else do you have? What else do you have? And you better have something else. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm at New York Comic Con, and I mentioned again, I would love to meet Tom Hardy when he comes on Saturday, because this has now been announced. And Scott and Frank and Ryan, all of them say, yes, come to the signing. We'll try and get you into it. And so I show up at the beginning of the signing time, and it is a mad mass throng of people um surrounding mad max throng of people no okay um surrounding this booth uh pressed up against the the, you know they have a rope cordoning off the signing area and everyone's pushing up against it and i kind of squeeze in close to the rope um i i can see scott and i can see frank and i can see ryan and no one is this the moment where security pushed everyone back but you? Correct, yeah. Security then decides everyone's too close to the rope. Everyone move back. But and, not this guy. And because I had been to the booth earlier in the show and I had introduced myself as part of that creative team, I looked at him and I went, sure, where do you want me? And he said, you are different, <laughs> but you can't be here. And you're in that, not famous yeah. enough to be there. <laughs> yeah, in the liminal but zone. You're That's not. right. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, you know, everyone stepped back then, and suddenly I'm out in the open, and Scott and Frank and Ryan all see me, and they wait, they flag security, and they go, "He's on the creative team. Let him in the line." Now people have been waiting there for yeah. hours. So I'm like, God, yeah, I'm never, everyone's going to hate me here. Um, like coming to your booth to punch oh, you. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, they lift the rope. I go underneath the rope. I, you know, talk to Scott. I talk to Frank. I talk to Ryan. And then I get to Mr. Tom Hardy. And I stick out my hand and I say, it's so nice to meet you. I'm so excited to work in some capacity on a project together. Um, thank you so much for including me. And he shakes my hand. He says a few words. And I get out of the way before the mass of people engulf me again. Before the crush. Yeah. Correct. Right? Yeah. Now, an important... Crushes your hand. Now, an important piece of this, I think, dear listener, is to point out that even presented with all of these opportunities and all these open doors, Lyndon did not overstay his welcome in the midst of all of that. There's a moment to uh, gush, and there's a moment to step aside because you're there to work. And in fact, um, not to put too fine a point on it, you ran up to go and talk to people at DC as a result of having other stuff to do. Tom Hardy, done. Checklist, 
achieved next on the checklist. Yeah, let's go talk to other whoever we can work. talk about. Yeah, there were what, one of the things you'd done, which you don't need to talk about the details of this, of but you had also, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, at Scott Snyder's, you know, suggestion, Behest. contacted other publishers and editors who you knew were going to be there. Yeah. Hey, can I, you know, chat with you for a couple minutes? Yeah. If you know, you're at the so show, on. I would love, to, I think my email was as simple as, hi, if you're at, my name is so-and-so, we've discussed this before, or we've emailed before. If you're going to be in New York, I would love to come by, introduce myself, and... Yeah, um, and there's some previous kind of, you'd emailed here, you'd emailed there. We'd, you, we'd had like different, you know, you and I both had had different connections yeah. with the different people over the last, you know, year and a half here. Yeah. But um, again, it's a slow process. Like people don't, they think everything's going to happen real fast. Yeah. And, yeah. you know... So yeah, so then I went sprinting out across the convention center because I wanted to continue trying to meet people that I was trying to meet uh, at that show. And, um, you know, with that, that is the extent of the pro- of my involvement or public involvement with the ArcBound project. I think they've said that the I like first- the way the lawyer part of your brain asterisk yeah. public involvement yeah there's so much more to the tale well dear i think what they, they don't said, realize is linen now is the 100 percent ip owner of our <laughs> you heard it here that's first not, that's not true there's no tom hardy is going to be no one movie. no one here is asserting that right um but i think in i believe in the initial press release they said that they hope for the fir- the full first issue so not the first 13 pages but the first full issue should release sometime in the spring and i i don't think that saying that it's going to be news yeah, day. He's not necessarily really. even saying he knows that's true. He's just saying that's what he that remembers that's, being yeah, released. Been so, and, you know, I haven't seen the, the script for issue two. I haven't seen any art. I have nothing else to say about where the story's going. I'm not privy to any of that information. Can I ask a question that I think, uh, actually, I don't care if anyone else is interested. I'm interested. Sure. When you are lettering other writers' work, how do you... How do you not turn the writer part of your brain on? And how do you just stay in your lane, as it were? Lettering is a technical job. Yes. Um, The creative aspect of it does not involve the writing. So the writing, as far as I'm concerned, the writing isn't my business. You know, there are some out there who think that the letterer should also serve as a copy editor um and you know i've listened to more professional letters than me talk about this and they basically say if you are a letterer and you catch something and you know it's you're gonna have to go back and fix it later you should fix it now um but it's also not your job to fix to go through with a comb and make sure that you've corrected those uh to those writers i would say hire an editor Uh, before handing your script to a letterer. And the letterer should always be given the finished script, not the half-written script or the one that you're going to rewrite, Jonathan. But, you know, we have a unique creative relationship. So I bill accordingly. And I also specifically, uh, from the start, told you I would do this and told you to bill me higher than your normal rate. Correct. So that has been worked in. And speaking of editor, we... Uh, her name has haunted this episode a couple of times, Samantha Biko. Correct. When we're talking about mentors, we're not talking about, at least in my case, I'm not always talking about someone older than me. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about someone more experienced than me. Um, Sam would be quick to point out that I'm a rickety old man. 
but that she has a decade more experience editing and crafting stories than I do. And so I look to her in a capacity to help craft those tales. And that is how we started working together as mm -hmm. she edited my books. Mm -hmm. And one thing that can be really important is you have to be able to accept when someone else knows something you don't and just try to be a well, good Well, let's even just look at Tom Hardy. You know, here's a guy who could, if he wanted to, just get somebody to let him write his own comic. He doesn't need a co-writer from a business perspective, but he may recognize he needs one in, you know, he doesn't know yeah. comics. Yeah. In the same way that Scott Snyder does. So he's found some creative mentors. Yeah. So like guide. even at yeah. that, you know, level where you don't necessarily require it for the networking reasons or what have you, like, yeah. you know, there's a recognition and a humbleness that I think is required. Yeah. He needs, he needs no mentor in gravitas. Right. But uh, perhaps yeah. in uh, how to write a 22-page script with uh, appropriate beats and a good page turn. The, the nature of the writing that goes on between Scott and Frank and Tom, I am not privy to and I will not comment on. But you know that there's more there's, than one of there's them. There's more than one writer. So yeah. there's a way in which they're collaborating. Yeah, However exactly it breaks down, they're collaborators. Yeah. Yeah. And neither one of them is stepping out, you know, like they are the ones who can do it all. Although, right. you know, Scott Snyder can do it all and, and Frank Tierney. Yeah. I, well, know, we maybe assume. Tom Hardy can too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but the, the, the idea that they're going to collaborate and there's something more than the sum of the parts happening here. Well, yeah. here's one thing I do know, and this is a good way to wrap up this episode, is that Arcbound would not have existed without... The help in part <laughs> by you, Lyndon. Oh, okay. Right? You <laughs> carried your end of the sofa. Well, there would have been letters. There would have, there, you know, that you can find, they could have found another letterer. And maybe that letterer would have gotten that work done in time to be printed at the New York Comic Con. Dear listener, that is my assumption. It was never explicitly told to me. But that quick turnaround that we spoke about when it came to the first issue, I have to assume is because they wanted to reach a printing deadline so that they could have issues ready in time for the New York Comic Con. Right. And I was able to do that because when you're a professional and you want to keep receiving opportunities, you have to be able to carry your weight when those opportunities come around. The other facet, and the last point here, I think, is that it's not about, at least this is my answer, the counterpoint. I don't think it's necessarily professional to ask someone to hurry up in a tight deadline i do think that when you're collaborating on art the people you can rely on are the people you know because it is high stress tight deadlines sometimes and you need to work with reliable people and so what you had proven up until that point is you were reliable you were tenacious and you were capable and so that's who you ask. And to all of their credit, from Scott to Frank to Ryan to Mandy, who was the sort of pr the editor of the book and coordinated all of the communication, I met all of them at New York, and every single one of them shook my hand and said, thank you for the quick turnaround on that work. We know how much time it took and how hard you had to work on a tight timeline. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well... This has been Super Pulp Science, where we've talked about how genre gets made. If you are uh, someone who goes to a local comic book shop, you should definitely add to your pull list, Arcbound. 
Um, it's got a couple of pretty good writers and a semi-famous guy in it, but most importantly, it has Lyndon doing the letters. So make sure you ask for him by name. Uh, this has been Super Pulp Science. I'm Gregory Kamichuk, encouraging you to join the fight and make comics. <laughs>